Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the battle to be the next president of the United States. It's time for Donald Trump to pack his bags and go home. This is one opportunity to turn our country around. We look at why this is... The most important election of our lifetimes. This election requires every single one of us to do our part. And what we do will matter for decades to come. In a year like no other, the angry clashes... Will you shut up, man? Listen, Mr. President, I'm the moderator of this debate. The protests... The many controversies over voting and the pandemic. We wouldn't have 9 million confirmed cases of COVID in this nation. Over 230,000 deaths. You turn on CNN, that's all they cover. COVID, COVID, pandemic, COVID. This one is going to be in the history books for so many reasons. That's Auckland-based American Tim Fadgen. More from him soon. But first, Danielle McLaughlin is a New Zealander in New York. She's an author and a legal and political commentator. This is election as a referendum on the president's handling of COVID-19. I think that's the clearest way to put it. And there are lots of indicators in the swing states particularly that this is bad news for, for Donald Trump. Can we just go back a little bit to some basics about U.S. elections? Can you explain to me, um, if you can quite succinctly, what is the Electoral College vote? Okay, so uh, each state has a number of Electoral College um, votes that are attributed to them. And so U.S. elections are not a straight one person, one vote democracy. So you have the popular vote, which is literally the number of votes that are counted. But what matters for electing the president is that the number of electoral college votes, which varies from state to state, basically based on population, you have to win 270 of those electoral college votes in order to win the presidency. And we know that from last time that it is actually more important than the popular vote, which Hillary Clinton won. Right. The the popular vote doesn't matter at all. It creates a basis for the losing side, if they won the popular vote, to feel a bit put out and to feel like the process is counter-majoritarian. And it sort of is, honestly. It was put in place decades and decades ago to make sure that rural uh, America wasn't sort of underrepresented and wasn't sort of living at the mercy of the much more populated um, cities and more populated states. So let's look at the swing states because they're sort of the key to which way this election is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And things have changed since the last election. Yeah, no, they have. So the the blue wall, the so-called blue wall, which is a collection of 18 states plus the District of Columbia, represents about 242 electoral college votes. Maybe you need 270 to win, and a part, and a sort of a part of that um, wall, which is most mostly states on the east coast and the west coast, coast, and then the sort of in the midwest and upper midwest of the country, include Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Hillary Clinton lost those three states last last time around, which was really fundamental to her loss. Donald Trump didn't win them by much, less than a percentage point. Like, so it was a tiny, tiny win, but because the popular vote doesn't matter, he got all of those electoral college votes. But now 
those three states are looking fairly good for Biden, but we're looking at North Carolina, we're looking at Arizona. It certainly is a swing state now. Mm. And then Florida is sort of what they call a bellwether, not really a swing state, but, you know, it could be. Obama won Florida, and then Trump won Florida. And if you, you know, winning Florida is almost a bellwether for whether you're gonna, gonna win or not. Why is that? Can you explain, Danielle, what's going on in Florida that makes it the bellwether? Its demographics are changing. So Florida was always the state that people went to to retire, and certainly a lot of Midwesterners went down there because the winters are so brutal in places like Wisconsin and even places like Minnesota and Michigan. So it was called sort of the Sun Belt state where older Americans would go to retire. Old Americans tend to vote Republican. And But what's happening is the state is getting younger and the state is diversifying. So you're seeing a larger number of uh, Latino voters. And so what is happening is the youth vote and the Latino vote tend to skew Democrats. And so those forces are counteracting the kind of traditional older Republican voters. So the state itself is not a monolith, but generally speaking, demographic forces are are powering the shift towards Democrats. So that'll be fascinating to watch. And because it's on the eastern side, does that vote come in quite early in the day? Yeah, so Florida has an actually one of the handful of states where early voting um, has actually started to be counted already. So all of the different states have different rules because the state, the election is run by the states themselves and they all have different rules about whether you can count votes, mail-in votes before election day, if you can, how far in advance you can vote, uh, you can count them. So lots of different rules. Florida is one of the states where you can actually, they're allowed by law to start counting the sort of absentee, so mail-in votes early. And so Florida is crucial in this election. If Donald Trump loses... Florida, it's almost impossible for him to win because his path to 270 electoral college votes is much narrower than Joe Biden. We'll have a decent sense about Florida much earlier than we will have about some of the other swing states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, Wisconsin. And the campaigns themselves, because, you know, as you know, Daniel, the the stuff, a, a lot of the news that we get here in New Zealand is very focused on the personalities rather than the actual mm. policies. But what's your feeling? I mean, what do people care about or does it really depend on where they are? So if you look a couple of months ago, a month back, where uh, entities like Pew and others, Pew Research did polling on what are the sort of most important um, issue areas for American voters, you were looking at the top four being you know, healthcare, access to good quality healthcare, uh, the economy, um, in, in COVID-19, and I think immigration was the fourth. But what we're seeing increasingly, especially now that the state is on this upward trend, the third peak of COVID. Now washing over the U.S. And because COVID is now hitting areas that were previously untouched. Nearly every region in the state has seen an increase in COVID-related hospitalizations. COVID and how people view the president's response to COVID is only, second only to party affiliation, Republican or Democrat. Over the next five or six months, I think up through you know, February or March of next year, we are heading into the worst part of this pandemic for this country. And it has eclipsed so many of the other issues, whether that's you know, immigration or what's happening on the border. 
it's really because it's now an issue that is affecting Americans in their families and their communities. It's no longer something that someone in Wisconsin can look at someone in New York City and say, well, I don't care about COVID because, you know, my grandma's fine. For the first time in 27 years, there will be no family Thanksgiving. It's raging through the Midwest and the upper Midwest. And that is not good news for President Trump because his approval is nationally, at least, on the COVID responses in the low 40s. And if that's a proxy for for the up or down vote for him, it, it's almost impossible to win with, with that, that low approval. Was there a turning point on that? I mean, you know, when he got sick and then there was this the mess over him going into hospital and then getting out of hospital and taking the tour around and... Would that have been a turning point or were people, even his supporters, starting to rethink things about him before that? You know, that's a good question and I don't know if those questions have been, you know, asked and polling. I mean, there's not many people who are sort of lukewarm on him. You know, you really either find him to be the worst president in US history and it's hard to get away from that or you think that he's the best president in US history. There's a lot of very deeply held beliefs about him. Mm. And so I think COVID is just another one of those facets of him. So if you see that he gets it uh, and you are a supporter, you believe his spin that now he's stronger and he's probably immune and because he's had this first-hand experience. It looks like I'm immune for, I don't know, maybe a long time or maybe a short time. It could be a lifetime. Nobody really knows, but I'm immune. So, so the uh, president is in very good shape. And if you're not a supporter of the president and you see that he is not listening to scientists, not only in the realm of public policy and health policy generally across America, but in his own behaviours and protocols, you just think he's even less equipped than he did before to lead the country out of this crisis. There's been some reports about worries about violence. And in fact, my sister who's in the States was sent a note from the New Zealand government. Um, It put out a safe travel notice to New Zealanders about rallies that could turn into riots and about the strong police and National Guard presence and telling New Zealanders to avoid any areas where there could be trouble. How much of a worry is that there could be mm-hmm. riots depending on what the result is? Well, I think you have it right there, and that's depending on what the result is. So if this is a landslide either way, then I don't think you're going to get a large amount of civil unrest. The chances of it being a, a landslide for, for the president are pretty slim. The chances of it being a landslide for Joe Biden are, are better. I think where there's going to be problems is if there are certain states where things are too close to call and so there are, you know, we have a lot of uncertainty on the day or the day after or the day after that. And if there is a lot of litigation or attempted voter suppression, which is more likely to come from uh, Republicans, they've made huge efforts to suppress votes in the lead up to this election, which I think is kind of telling. Are you a good loser? I'm not a good loser. I don't like to lose. I don't lose too often. I don't like to lose. But are you gracious? You don't know until you see. It depends. I think mail-in voting is is going to rig the election. I really do. Uh, Are you suggesting that you might not accept the results of the election? I I have to see. So it's really, I really think it's about the result. And if it's so clear that Joe Biden, you know, if Joe Biden takes Florida and if he takes at least two of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then holds the... The, the states that he's expected to win, the, the Californias, the New Yorks, for example, 
I wouldn't put anything past the president in terms of what he might say about the result and there may be issues with conceding or not. But if it's messy on the night and the days after, and if there's a real aggression from the White House and allies about calling into question what's happening, we could have some problems. Do you know who elects the DA? We do, but you don't want to vote. Can't make it rain if you locked up on some bullshit. That's an ad campaign featuring pole dancing strippers urging black males to get out to vote. But you talking about, oh, they gonna pick who they gonna pick, shawty. Ferguson just elected their first black mayor. You know how that happened? It's gone viral, and some would say it's worked because record numbers have turned out to vote early. Get your booty to the poll.com. But for a lot of people, voting in the U.S. is fraught. I was reflecting on this uh, the day of our actual election here. So I was driving the kids to a birthday party. And from our house on Waiheke to the ferry, there were two polling stations open, signs uh, indicating where to go. Tim Fadgen lectures in political science and international relations at Auckland University. Contrast that with what I'm looking at on the television. Huge lines, eight hours to wait. Seven hours... 45 minutes and 13 seconds it took for me to vote in Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, Which is, on the one hand, very encouraging uh, that so many people in the face of so many obstacles are choosing to spend eight hours of civic engagement to exercise their right to vote. I would walk through glass and hot charcoal and bare feet to to make this election. I want my country back. It is depressing to be American and see those two things because you can see voting here and see how much better it could be if there were was a principle that sought to get every vote counted. And I think what you're seeing across the United States is a lot of jurisdictions, a cynical view that has taken the position that these are votes they won't get. So the best policy is to put as many obstacles in the way of them exercising their voice as they can. How how does it compare with previous campaigns for you? Well, this one is going to be in the history books for so many reasons. I think just as you mix the COVID situation in, which none of us can really, really understand, I think the magnitude of that because of just how things went so much better here than they have there. The other uh, factor, I think, is just the the discourse and the debate around uh, issues such as you can find any in, in the debate, it's it's so much lower in terms of the level of, of substantive discussion than what even by American presidential campaign standards is so much lower. And that's, if we're being honest, uh, you know, it's not all Trump. Biden has recognized and is probably politically wise in some ways not to stake out so many radical uh, positions. I mean, we saw the the backlash in the last debate for saying that he was going to want to uh, put in a policy to transition from oil. Would you close down it's the oil? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I will that's transition. a It is a big statement. Which is in some ways a very common sense, it's not even that radical of a position to take. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But that's a big statement. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time. But given if you listen to the whole rest of the debate, that one issue rises out because somebody actually staked a position Mm. and said, "Okay, here's something. 
Uh, and that was the, the cudgel that Trump decided to use to say. Because basically what he's saying is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. And what did he say? Are you listening, Pennsylvania? Are you listening, Texas? Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, Ohio. and then I have to get to the final question. Vice President Biden. If you're on a, by a, a thread uh, in Texas, I think um, saying that we're going to move away from one of your key industries isn't helpful. But is it the honest point to make? He made that calcula calculation and deemed it was. What, for you, have been the most fascinating points of this campaign? One of the most memorable things to me is how much the, the question of um, not just character, but empathy and being able to connect with people um, and the sort of the depth that Biden seems to have in this regard, which is, I think, I mean, actually kind of remarkable. Uh, President Obama had a, had a very good, uh, like, charisma and Biden, of course, he does not the same. He can be a bit clumsy and trips over himself at times. But when he's actually directly trying to connect with people, he's extremely effective. His ability to look straight through the camera, to pivot from whatever he's saying, to look straight in the camera and to seems like he's speaking directly to you. Last night was, I think, a wake up call for all Americans. What I tried to do last night, I tried to speak directly into the camera to the American people to talk about their concerns, to talk about what's on their mind, to talk about what I would do were I president. And not in a phony way, but in a way that actually comes from somewhere deep in him through his own suffering to connect with the audience is very, it's memorable to me because it's effective at sort of drawing that contrast in personalities. President Trump, I thought, at least if you look at the last debate, um, even though this doesn't seem to be sticking, I thought he was effective, far more effective than in the first debate, at trying to craft the narrative that Biden is a politician that doesn't get things done, that is um, potentially corrupt, or there at least there are questions there. And it is now feeding a narrative in the country um, that I see on social media that somehow it's unfair that the media is not covering this, but anything that is said against the president that's negative, even if it's uncorroborated, is covered. So I think if you're looking at it in terms of what's effective, I mean, you can't dispute that Trump is a very effective communicator in certain ways, which is kind of puzzling considering how he speaks. Somehow, this must be his marketing genius, he, he's, he seems to be speaking to people on a, almost like a different wavelength then if you're a Democrat, you're completely not getting the channel. You're not tuned in. And it's really interesting because I think when uh, part of this larger discussion is marginalization, and we talked about voter suppression and these sorts of things, people that feel marginalized. The voters he's speaking to and the way he's speaking to them feel marginalized. And they feel he's the one who's bringing them into the process. So Biden, even though Biden's making efforts to say, I can talk to you too, it's not, it's not quite penetrating that. How confident are you that Biden will win? <clears throat> I don't know what the right way to put it is. I, I'm fairly confident that he'll win. Now, the margin is the is the key issue. As to our point before, um, a narrow victory by Biden is almost uh, as complicated as as a Trump narrow victory. More so, probably. Why? <laughs> because I think the dynamics of it. 
the way that I'm looking at and sort of assessing the swing states. So I, I should say I am putting Biden at about over 300 electoral votes, maybe mm -hmm. 320. And just to, remind me how many are needed? To... 270. Yeah. Uh, you know, in looking it over, looking at the polls, and then just there's some swing states, you just have to sort of go with your gut. You have to look at the numbers and say, okay, I think this is where the trend is going. And so right now, if you look across all the experts in the United States, there is, it's all over the show. If you had to put them on a balance, I think most of them are on a Biden victory. So which yeah. which states will you be watching closely? Pennsylvania, obviously, is is one of the key states. Michigan and and um Wisconsin, of course, but I think probably one of the most interesting will be Georgia, um, and that's because that's they also some are trying to bring Texas into that most interesting to watch swing states, and it's certainly maybe by the next election will be one that will be pure toss up. Right now, um, folks are saying it's in play. I would be shocked to if it would, were to go in Biden's column. Mm -hmm. However, Georgia, I think, um, given some of the voter suppression, again, antics that have gone on in recent years. The fact that there's two contested Senate uh, races that are up and the president's uh, race. A lot of attention has been paid to Georgia for uh, long voting lines, too. Um, and the polling is has actually got Biden with a slight advantage at this time. And Tim will be watching the U.S. elections from Auckland, while Danielle will be in Washington, D.C. for Al Jazeera. I think being a part of it, uh, I feel very humbled as a Kiwi, a young girl from Brisbane. I really believe that Amer America that functions well is only good for the world. So I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm hope hopeful that Americans will elect Joe Biden. The pandemic is uh, in our lives much more than you know, this election. But of course, they are indelibly intertwined. And if we do get a democratic administration, I think that we will have better leadership and a way to get ourselves out of this morass because it's just been a disaster here. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Mark Jennings with Jesse Chang as the associate producer. Your thanks to Danielle McLaughlin and Tim Fadgen. Kakite anō. 